Most of the third season, this season, focuses on the seven-step process of becoming more trusted. In the third episode, I went over step one, identifying one relationship where you want to be more trusted. In episode two, in episode four, step two, we identified one bad thing that you're doing that's holding you back from being more trusted. In episode five, we went through step three, which is identifying a good habit that you're going to use to replace the bad habit, and also how do you turn it into a smart action plan. In this episode, I'll talk about the fact that it's hard. It's hard to create a new habit that you're not used to. It's hard to stop a bad habit that you are really used to and is automatic. So I'm going to give you six methods that will make it easier. And sometimes that, that little change of making it a little easier is going to help you form this habit and make it automatic. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm your host, Joram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this podcast, I will share with you everything that I know and discovered about trust. I will challenge you to think differently about trust. But not only will I teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust. It's almost like I'm reading The Book of Trust to you, but with no holding back, and no BS. So let's increase the probability of this new habit becoming automatic, really becoming a habit. So I'm going to give you six methods here. The first one is going to be, how do we fill the void while keeping the same trigger? And and I'll talk more about each one of them. The second is friction control. How do we reduce or increase friction as, as appropriate? Third one is habit stacking. How do we stack this habit to another habit that, that's already a habit? Uh, four is going to be technical support. How do we use technology to help us? Five is how do we use a log? to help us, the the purpose, the importance of the log. And six is going to be how do we use extrinsic motivation. And this might actually spill over to another episode because I'm trying to make those episodes not longer than 30 minutes. And unfortunately, I've already exceeded that in previous ones. So let's start. The first method to make the habit easier to form is what I would call filling the void and and using the same trigger. If you know how habits work, and and there are some great books about habits. Uh, Charles Duhigg uh, wrote uh, The Power of Habit, and and that, I think, is, is one of the best books on understanding how habits are formed. And habits typically form when there is a trigger. So there is a trigger that causes you to do something. And what you want when you create a a habit is to make this process automatic. So every time the trigger happens, bam, you do the thing that you wanted to form as a habit. So, but there's a reason 
why you did that thing, even if it was a bad thing. And, and it could have been the habit, typically it's the habit, or, or some kind of a need. So, for example, one of the triggers that you have after you eat dinner, and now I know that since I was a kid, my, my parents always told me that you want to have, right after you eat a very full meal, you want to have dessert, right? You want to have something sweet. There has to be something sweet at the end of the meal. And, and my guess is that you were probably taught that way. And, and you know, it's, it's not like there is a scientific reason for it, or at least not one that I know. But that's what we do. You finished eating a good meal that's not sweet, and you must have something sweet at the end. So that's the trigger. The trigger is you finished eating a good meal. The problem is... If you're trying to lose weight, like, like I have and, and still am, kind of at the end of uh, this second process, uh, is that that sweet thing, that can double the amount of calorie intake that you took throughout the meal. So you're trying to avoid this. But when you try to avoid eating that sweet thing at the end of dinner, it leaves a void. And the reason it leaves a void is because there is a trigger, the end of the meal, and you need to fill it with something sweet. And if you don't, you leave a void. So what do I do? I replaced a high calorie thing, dessert, with a, uh, right now I'm using sugar-free bubble gum. Okay, icebreakers. I'm, I'm using icebreakers and they're sugar-free. They fill the same void and they're activated by the same trigger. So that's one thing. Uh, the, this is this is how habits, how forming habits uh, work. Uh, you need to make sure that that the same trigger can trigger that thing, that that replacement thing, uh, and uh, that has to be uh, a good thing in, instead of uh, probably a bad thing that you were doing. Now I'm talking about diet, but this applies to uh, building trust. So there is something bad that you're doing. There is something that triggers that that bad thing. If you want to stop doing that bad thing, you're going to leave a void. So the question is, how do we fill that void with something that's filled by the same trigger? Just like my sugar-free uh, candy, or not candy, a bubble gum, replaces the uh, sugar-full uh, dessert that I used to have before. So, for example, uh, for me, when the, the reason that I communicated with my team over email was because I needed to communicate with them. So I, I can't just stop communicating. There was a trigger and the trigger was something was happening. And the habit that filled that trigger was I would send them an email, which we already know is not the ideal thing. And it caused them to not trust me as much. And I talked more about that when I analyzed why that was a bad habit in, in a previous um, in, in a previous episode of this uh, of this podcast. So now I need to replace it with something else. So the trigger stays the same, but the communication method is replaced. So I have filled that void. I replaced sending an email with going to see them. Same trigger, not leaving a void. Replacing bad with good. That responds to the same or is activated by the same trigger. So that's uh, the first method I'm going to give you. And that's filling the void left after the trigger once you take out the bad habit that you had. Second method I'm going to give you is called, or I call it, friction control. So how do we control the friction? How do we reduce or increase the friction? 
So I'll tell you a story. Back in 2005, I bought a racing motorcycle, a Honda CBR 600RR, which is a model that actually races. And I don't know how many times it won the MotoGP or Grand Prix uh, of motorcycles. So it's a racing motorcycle. Don't worry, I never crashed it. And uh, in fact, I got to the point where at the end, I was riding that motorcycle twice a year, one of which was to uh, get the state inspection done. So obviously, I, I didn't need a motorcycle. Or did I? Because it was really fun. It was fun to ride that motorcycle. So the way it started is, after I had the motorcycle, I found a friend that had a motorcycle, and we started riding our motorcycles every Sunday morning. That was really a lot of fun. Then that friend had back problems, not because of his motorcycle, but he had back problems and he bailed on me, bailed out on me. And uh, so I had to ride all by myself, which was not that great. And then I found another friend and we started riding our motorcycles every weekend until he stopped riding his motorcycle. And You know, sometimes it's, it's hard to ride when it's too cold or too hot outside. And so I kind of stopped, but I didn't need a friend. The friend actually made it more fun to ride the motorcycle, but I didn't need a friend. So why did I stop riding the motorcycle? Well, the answer is actually that I have a two-car garage at my house, and uh, there are two cars in that garage, mine and my wife's, and uh, there's no room for the motorcycle. So what I did, because you can't just leave a motorcycle, not a motorcycle like this, out in the street. I mean, first of all, you don't want to leave a motorcycle out to the elements, but you don't want to leave it out to somebody stealing the motorcycle either. So I built a little shed in my backyard to put the motorcycle in. It fit the motorcycle. The thing is, getting the motorcycle out of the shed was a chore. You had to open the shed, and it it wasn't very convenient getting into the shed and then pulling the motorcycle out, not running the motor yet, the engine yet, pulling it out, locking the shed again, so I have to get the the leg down and and, uh, lock the the shed again, then open the door to the backyard and get the door to stay open and then get the motorcycle down, then stop, leave it there, go and lock that door again, the the door to the backyard. And the opposite, when when I was done, when I brought the motorcycle back, it was inconvenient. And what I call it is friction. It caused undue friction. Did I enjoy riding the motorcycle? Yes, I did. But that level of friction kind of got me to the point where I would think twice or even three times before I would go on the motorcycle for a ride. If the motorcycle, if I had a three-car garage and the motorcycle would be there in the garage, I bet that I would ride that motorcycle way, way more than I did because of that friction that got me over over the top of, I'm not going to ride it because I I don't want to go through this process. It was just not enough. So so probably it was not enough fun to ride a motorcycle to get me past that friction. But the point is that that friction was kind of the make or break of why I ride the motorcycle or not ride the motorcycle. If you develop a website or, or apps or different electronic products, Uh, One of the things that you may know is that in order to make your product usable, you have to count how many clicks, how much effort the users have to put put in to achieve a certain function. 
if you have too many clicks, users may not do that. Now, you may not lose 50% of your users to, to that functionality because there are too many clicks or, or there's too much friction. You may lose 20%, 10%. You know what? 1%. What if you lost 1% of your users simply because there was it was a little too hard, too much friction, one key press, one button click, too much for them to actually use that? That's how you reduce the friction. I'm going to mention this again, the, the Goldilocks rule. And the Goldilocks rule is, you know, based on the Goldilocks story of, uh, you know, that, that bowl is too hot and this one is uh, too cold and, and this one is just right. And uh, this bed is too hard and this bed is too soft and, and this one is just right. So to form a habit, it can't be too easy and it can't be too hard. It has to be just right. And, and I talked about that when I talked about a smart action plan. So you, you want to get your habit right there in that zone. But, but you actually want to get it at the high end of put enough effort. That makes that habit a little too close to it's too hard. And so eliminating that friction, if, if you're trying to build a good habit, you want to eliminate enough friction to build some distance between that habit and the point where it's just too hard and you're going to give up. If it's a bad habit that you want to stop, you want to build more friction, cause yourself to do more things in order to do that bad thing, that would cause you again. Th this time it's going to take you over the top and you're going to stop doing it. Just like the whole process of getting my motorcycle in and out of the shed in the backyard was just too much. And so I stopped. Method number two, habit stacking. Uh, there's a great book called Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear and and. I, I don't know if he's the first person to call it habit stacking, but but I'm again I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, you go into the dentist uh, twice a year to get your teeth cleaned, right? Don't answer that. The answer is yes. You go, and uh, so I go twice a year, and not in the last time, the one before that, when I went to my dentist. You know how the dentist at the end of the, the uh, teeth tooth cleaning he says, "Oh, I'm going to give you a few samples." of those uh, toothpicks, uh, soft peaks, and I'm going to give you samples of this uh, flossing uh, wire string, and uh, I want you to use them. What do you do when, when your dentist says that? You say, okay, I'll do it, right? I mean, that, that's what we do. And that's what I did, except for that time. Two times ago, when I did my teeth cleaning, and he said that, I don't know. I, I was probably not in the mood uh, that day. I, I was I was edgy and and I just said, okay, let, let's let's stop playing this game. You know exactly what's going to happen, right? You're going to tell me to use the soft peaks. You're going to tell me to uh, floss, and I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to have all the intentions in the world because I understand that it's good for me to do that and it's good for my teeth. And it's going to reduce my, my uh, dental expenses because I'm not going to need feelings or anything else. But I'm still, I'm going to do it one day and then it's just going to vaporize. I'm not going to do it again. 
So let's not play this game. Let, let's not pretend that I'm going to say yes and, and then I'm really going to do it. He gave me one of the best advices ever. Here's what he said. And I want you to, to imagine this as well. Imagine that research showed that brushing your teeth, which is something hopefully you do twice a day automatically, you don't think about that. It actually feels very uncomfortable to not do it. Imagine if research showed that that is not healthy, or at least not healthy would be the extreme, but but at least does not have the benefits that we thought it did. So it really doesn't matter if you brush your teeth or you don't. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have benefit. Can you stop brushing your teeth? No. I mean, it's just like taking your watch off your left hand. If you're wearing your watch on your left hand and putting it on your right hand, it just does not feel right. You're used to something and you can't stop because it is a habit, because it's automatic, because you don't think about that. You just do it. So imagine if he told you to not brush your teeth anymore. You can't stop. So typically when he asks you to use the soft teeth or to floss, he says you're doing it after you brush your teeth, right? For one day and then you stop. He said, I want you to change the order. I want you to do it before you brush your teeth. But here's how I want you to think about that. I want you to think about brushing your teeth as something that you need to earn the right to do. You don't just do that because you're entitled to. You need to earn the right. And the way you earn the right to brush your teeth is by, for me, in the morning, floss. At night, use the soft teeth. So I have to floss so that I can brush my teeth in the morning. I have to use the soft teeth so that I can brush my teeth in the evening. I have to tell you, I mean, I, I thought it was stupid. that It didn't make any sense. It, it's not going to change anything. I had another teeth cleaning since then. This was, I don't know, something like 10 months ago. There was not a single day that I did not both floss and use the soft teeth before brushing my teeth. There was not even a single day. And we're talking 10 months now. The reason that that happened was simply because uh, I stacked it to another habit. I made it a condition. I didn't just stack it on another habit. I made it a condition to do something that I'm already used to. So think about that. Is there something that you can do? And, and I'm going to give you an example. So, for example... Um, when, when I go on the treadmill, how do I make myself go on the treadmill? What I do is there are certain TV shows that I really love watching. Uh, SEAL Team uh, on CBS and Paramount Plus is one of them. Um, the West Wing, best TV show ever. Uh, used to be on Netflix. Now I found it on, on uh, HBO Max. I cannot watch those TV shows unless I'm on the treadmill. So I built myself this, this device, uh, this, this mount right in front of the treadmill on the wall uh, where I put my iPad. And this is the only place where I can watch those TV shows. Uh, and those are 42 minutes uh, long. Add commercials. Now you're at about 50 minutes. And that's the time that I spend on the treadmill. I do three miles in 50 minutes. That's, that's how I do it. You can do the math, 3.6 miles per hour. Um, but I tied these two things together so that I have to earn the right to watch that TV show 
by doing that. So in the book, uh, Atomic Habits, James Clear, he, uh, he actually claimed that increasing, th- th- that using or, or stacking the habits, stacking two habits together, and I don't know exactly how he did the research, but he came up with the number that it will increase the probability of forming that habit from about 35 to 38% probability of success of forming a new habit to 91%. There is another place where you can read about that, and that's actually a book from me. This was my second book ever. It's called uh, Worst Diet Ever, and and it was a book about how do you create a habit uh, or habits that would allow you to lose weight. But that's, that's a topic for maybe another episode. The third method, I like to call this one tech support. So call tech support to help you uh, form a habit. It's actually call on technology to support you in forming a habit. And that is, there are different things. I mean, technology is all around our lives right now. I mean, heck, even uh, I'm wearing a smartwatch, uh, which I never thought I will. But there's technology all around us. Our smartphone is is one of the best ones uh, that's that's in our hand almost all the time. Our laptop, our computer is in front of us. So there's technology around us. So how can we use technology to help us? One of the easiest ways is to put it on the calendar. So I actually changed. Remember that that my goal, my action plan was I'm going to meet with my four direct reports, thirty minutes each. Once a week, right? That was my, my action plan. The thing is that, that it's very easy for this to get to Friday and realize that I haven't met with any of them. And then one of them is out of the office or I'm out of the office and it's just not going to happen this week. And so I missed it. Here is what I did. Monday morning, in order to earn the right. So I'm, I'm also attaching this to the previous method, which was habit stacking or conditioning. Maybe I should call it habit conditioning. Monday morning, in order to earn the right to check my email, I must first put the four meetings on my calendar for that week. That's the first thing that has to happen. So, you know, my goal is no longer have those meetings. My goal, my action is to put it on the calendar because if it's on the calendar, it's going to happen. You know, worst case is I'm going to move it around, but it's already on the calendar. And it's on the calendar Monday morning for the rest of the week. So it's not like I have to make all meetings Monday, but, you know, if I have to put them on the calendar, I have to find room for them and and I will. And obviously, when I put it on the calendar, I also see their calendar and see if there is uh, uh, availability on their calendar to when I want to put that. So... There are other technologies you can use, uh, you know, different. uh, There's an alarm clock. You can set an alarm clock for the same time every uh, weekday, for example, not necessarily uh, weekends. Uh, If you have a smartwatch, you can use uh, the smartwatch app to, to remind you of things. There is an app that's available. I believe it's available for phones as well, but uh, I'm, I'm using it on my computer. It's called Pomodoro. Uh, Pomodoro is is this technique that that I learned a few years ago that says if you want to focus on something and and avoid distractions, you need to do that in chunks of time. So, for example, 25 minutes. I think they found that 25 minutes is kind of the ideal time frame. And so this 
app or or I'm actually using a portal and I say start 25 minutes and for 25 minutes, no distractions, absolutely no distraction, 100% focus. And at 25 minutes, it says, okay, your 25 minutes are up and now I can stop, stop the focus, allow distractions, check email, check, well, Facebook or whatever it's called now uh, or or anything else. And then I'm going to start that timer again for another 25 minutes of complete focus. So that's how we can use uh, that app, for example. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I've seen that done with more Orthodox Jews. You know that you're not allowed to use equipment or, or you know, even turn on lights uh, during the weekend, d- during the Shabbat. And so a device was in invented that's that's really a timer it's an electricity timer that so i can set up my my lights to turn on in the evening and turn off in the morning without me actually doing it so there are devices i use the timer like this when when i was traveling so that people would think that there are people in the house because you know the lights would go on and then go off and and so on so there there are devices and just Look around you and ask yourself, what is it that I can use or what technology can I use to increase the probability that I will form this habit? The fifth method is that, that will make it easier for you to form a habit is to start a log, to log what you're doing. There are different purposes. There are different reasons why why having a log or using a log uh, will help you. I'm, I'm going to count some of them, but I'm sure you can think of uh, other reasons yourself. One of them is that it makes it real. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's uh, it ain't real until you actually write it on paper. And I would recommend, by the way, actually writing using a pen or a marker on a board or, or a piece of paper uh, rather than it's in my computer. And and you'll see in another uh, reason why logging works. The second thing is it reminds you. Obviously, it reminds you when it's visible, when you can see it. Uh, You look at it and you go, oh, that that just reminded me. I I still need to do that. I I haven't done it this week or or today. So so it's a good reminder. It keeps you honest. You know, you look at it and, you know, if if you didn't do it, you didn't write it. and, And it's right there in front of you saying you didn't do it this week. Or not yet this week or today. The next one is it makes it visible not only to you. I already mentioned that making it visible. Again, if it's not like a spreadsheet that's hidden well in your computer and you never opened that spreadsheet. And you know as well as I do that we have plenty of those. We have spreadsheets. We have all kinds of project management software and apps that are in our computer that we just we never opened them because if we did we will see all the things that we missed and and should have done all kinds of task lists so it has to be something that's visible to you so so it will be you know poking you in the eyes you have to do that but it's also good that it's visible to others and and you you have to be careful with what you put there but when it's visible to others it kind of creates some kind of an accountability it's not going to be in the next episode. The next episode is going to give you the sixth, uh, the sixth factor or, or method that would help you uh, increase the probability. 
But on the uh, next episode, the, the episode after that, I'll talk about accountability partners. So that's another reason why you want to have that. But, but I'll talk about that later. In general, just the fact that others can see it adds a level of accountability. But as I said, I'll talk about that later. Uh, what do you log? What do you put in that log? Well, first of all, you got to put some kind of a date or a time period. The week of, uh, let's see, we're uh, we're entering the week of November 8th. So the week of November 8th. Or you can, if this is a daily, then actually put the date. For my weight loss, my log actually have the dates, the, the specific dates. Um, actually, my, my latest log looks a little different. So I have the week. But then I have seven boxes for every day in that week. So essentially, it's uh, it's for every day. But I used to have it uh, per day. Um, and then what you put is uh, the detail of what you've done. In weight loss, it, it's a pretty binary. I was under or over. Or you can just write what was your weight. And, and that's another possibility as well. So write the measurement, write the detail, uh, and grade yourself. So... When you look at that, it shouldn't be something that you have to think about. Wait, so is this a good met- metric or a measure? Uh, the, the specific measure is this a good one or was it bad? I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to remember, especially when weight loss. I mean, obviously, uh, you have a certain weight that you can be at on a certain date or a week or a month, and it changes over time. So now you have to think about that. So really, put a grade. And we talked about the grade when we talked about. Um, the measurable part of smart action goals uh, in the last episode. So um, grade yourself. And to me, right now, I know if, if, if you look at what my, my chart looks like, my weight loss chart looks like, there is the week off, there is the weight. So I gave myself a certain weight for every week. And when I started, it was two pounds less every week. So I started it uh, here vulnerabilities coming out. I started at 226. And so the following week, that week, every day that week, I had to be under 226. The following week, every day, I had to be under 224, then 222 and so on. Right now, I'm at a one pound because I'm kind of at the end. I need to be under 204. And so the following week, it's going to be 203. So the entire week, and that that's how I decided to do that, that there's no right or wrong here. That That's what works for me. So there's seven boxes. And really, I, I don't put the weight that I had every day. All I do is only put a check mark or an X. I'm very fortunate I don't have any X's there. It, it's just a little check mark that says, yes, today I was under the allowed weight limit. And therefore, I can do whatever I need to do. But that's in the next episode, uh, the motivation that, that I use. So... Uh, Let's say that what I need to do is uh, have those meetings, uh, four meetings with my four direct reports for 30 minutes uh, every uh, every week, once a week each. So that chart would look like the week off. So let's say November 8th, and uh, I'm going to have uh, four boxes for the four names. So I call them John, Kate, Mike, and Jane. So for each one of them, I can either write the metric for that specific person. So like, uh, how how long did I meet with them? Zero would mean that I didn't meet with them. 32 would mean that I did. Or I can grade each one of them separately. But then I'm going to have, since my goal is not just to meet 
I don't have four goals of meeting one person for 30 minutes uh, every week. I have one goal of meeting all four. Because really, if I met three of them consistently every week, but I did not meet one of them even once, that's not a good outcome. So really, my goal is to meet all four of them every week. So my grade is related to meeting all four of them every week. So I can decide what does that mean. And maybe A is I met all four of them. B is I met uh, three of them. C is I met two of them. And F is I met one or less or less than two. So that's what the uh, log is going to look like. And again, with all the benefits. There is one more item, one more method that would help you and really significantly help you turn this into a habit or form a new habit. Uh, and that is the use of extrinsic motivation. But I'm going to talk about that in the next episode. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it, write a review for this podcast, because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops at yoramsolomon.com workshops, online courses at trustedatwork.com, find my books on Amazon, or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.